Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Today, we're going to have an interesting conversation because something I've learned over the years of having my own business and having a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs and then hosting this show and interviewing so many business leaders, one of the things that I've learned is that entrepreneurs often, their first gut reaction to something is to say yes, because life throws us all kinds of curveballs. Something goes wrong or something goes right. Somebody asks you if you can help them with a project. And a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking how busy they are or how unfortunate that their life is treating them or a whole bunch of reasons to say, no, I can't go down that path. But the most successful entrepreneurs oftentimes just say yes, and then they figure it out as they go. They sort of build their parachute on the way down. And one of the people who I know personally, who I think is such a great example of Trying to say yes whenever she can is Eliz Green. And Eliz is a professional speaker and a member of the National Speakers Association and a personal friend of mine. But she has built a career in the heart health field, speaking as one of the leading experts in the country on women and health. And this all came about in Eliz's life sort of through an unexpected path. And I'll let her tell you about that. But we're working on a project right now that I wanted to share with all of you, not only because is it a great new business line and a great project that can really impact big conventions, but also it is a perfect example of just saying yes when something comes your way. So we're going to talk about all that. So Eliz Green, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I am delighted to be here and 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 talk about cool things. <laughs> well, I know that you listen to the show, and so I, I always love it when I have a guest who is an ongoing listener of the show. So I hope it's as exciting for you as someone who listens to be a guest as it is for me to have you as a guest. I know. I feel like I'm sort of stepping through the looking glass. <laughs> that, that, that's right. It's so glamorous here at Cool Things. So, Eliz, why don't you tell everybody sort of how you became a professional speaker and a, a leading expert on women's health? Uh, I was minding my own business uh, <laughs> in, in November of 2000, and uh, that's that's funny in that I was pregnant with twins at the time, and in my former life, before I became pregnant, I was a dance teacher and a choreographer, and that is what I did for a living, worked with children and adults and people with disabilities, teaching them how to dance, and that was my passion, and that's what I did. Um, My husband and I tried for five years to have children. After five years, finally something worked, and we found out I was pregnant with twins. I had this vision that I was going to be one of those people that had the cute little basketball tummy and taught right up to the end um, and went and had a baby and went right back to teaching, and that turned out not to be true. Uh, About four months along, I went on bed rest and stayed there. At uh, six months along, I went into the hospital and 32 weeks into my pregnancy, I had a massive heart attack. Oof. Fortunately, I was in the hospital at the time. I got immediate and expert care right away, which is why I'm still here. And both of my daughters who are at school right now, uh, they're in high school, were all healthy and fine. And it was, uh, aside from having a heart attack that day, everything else went <laughs> 
Well, perfectly. <laughs> I got everything I needed. They got everything they needed. Well, and how fortunate that you were actually on bed rest in the hospital, because if you right. had been on bed rest at home, they may not have been able to get the medical attention to you and the babies. Oh, without a doubt. If I had been at home, I wouldn't be here. Uh, the From the time that I started to experience symptoms to the time that my heart stopped was 14 minutes. Um, I don't know that I'm sure even if I would have figured out that I needed help and called 911, they would, wouldn't have gotten to me in time. So that day was sort of an eventful day, and yes. you recovered, and the, the twins were healthy and eventually went home. And mm-hmm. how did that change your career path? Well, as I said, that was that teaching and choreography was my passion, and I fully intended after I recovered and the girls were a little bit over, older to go back to that business that I had my own business teaching dance my intention was to go back. But then as the girls got a little bit older, I started getting requests to tell my story on behalf of the American Heart Association. And that's the largest fundraising organization for heart research. And I started speaking for them, ended up being a spokesperson for them. And that passion for heart health and really opening other women's eyes to the idea that we needed to be paying attention to our hearts, that passion sort of squeezed out the other passion. And I ended up doing more and more speaking and less and less dance teaching. And it still makes my heart happy every once in a while when I can do a a little show or or, uh, just help my girls out with something. But my main passion now has really become sharing that story and making a difference making people aware that they need to pay attention to their heart health. So the American Heart Association and others started asking you to tell your story, and right. you said yes. I did. And that led I you to a yes. whole new career. And uh, one of the main rules in our household is when you do good things, good things happen. And I truly believe when you put things out into the world that are positive and compassionate, good things come back to you. Sometimes you don't know where they're coming from. (laughs) They just show up, but it's your job to say yes. So originally you were speaking for free, just helping out the American Heart Institute. When did somebody first ask you to speak and you realized that this was a business? Well, uh, the girls were about four. So I'd been speaking for the Heart Association for quite a while. Uh, And it was about the time that I was going to return to work. Like that was the decision you know, how now, how is that transition going to look? And I was so sad about leaving behind this new passion. And I was sitting in the office of the executive director of the affiliate for the American Heart Association here in Milwaukee and talking about this just because she was my friend. Like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this anymore because I'm going to go back to work. And she looked at me and said, you know, people will pay you to speak. And it was literally, (laughs) I think my jaw dropped. I have a memory of my mouth being open, just (laughs) staring at her thinking, you've got to be kidding. And as it turns out, heck yeah, people will pay me to speak. And now 10 years later, you are a professional speaker and a leader in speaking around the country on women's heart health and other health issues. Right. And again, that is about saying yes. I could have sort of push that aside as a crazy thought. But then I went off and looked into what it would take to become a professional speaker and sought out people within the National Speakers Association for advice. And 
here we are. <laughs> so you agree with me then that saying yes is one of the paths to success for entrepreneurs? I agree. Very much so. Yes. So last year, you were attending the National Speakers Association, probably for the seventh or eighth time, and right. you were just planning to show up and, and be a conferencee, an attendee, and right. they had a little bit of a snafu and needed some help, and they called at the last minute and asked you for a favor, and I know for a fact that you said yes. Why don't you right. tell everybody what happened? Well, the, the National Speakers Association was live streaming the convention, and part of what they wanted to do was instead of just simply live streaming the sessions. The, okay, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt. Let's let everybody know what live streaming means because we, oh, okay. we, you and I work in the events business, but not everybody knows what what is meant by that. Right. So really, it's a simulcast of the live event. So for example, let's say there's the opening session of the convention, and you have things going on on stage. At the same time, that sort of show is being simulcast on the internet for people to view wherever they happen to be in the world. And we had that year thousands of people from 17 different countries watching that simulcast, which was really pretty neat. And and that's something that's becoming more common for large conferences because especially like trade associations and industry groups, not everybody can always attend the national conference. There's time off involved. There's the expense. There's the hotels. And for some people, being able to sort of pick and choose from their desk and watching it over the internet is a great option. And that's, so that's becoming more popular. Right. And there's people in the same association that are in their nation's association in all parts of the world. So for the National Speakers Association, we have sister associations in Germany and Italy and all over the world. Those members aren't always going to be able to come across to go to our event, but could get so much value out of what's being presented that that virtual attending is very valuable. So last year, they they were doing this, and, and they called you to do what? So the idea was that in addition to live streaming those mainstream or main stage events in one concurrent session per slot, so throughout the day, they wanted to bridge those little spaces with unique content, basically interviews of people who are in the main stage or in the breakout sessions or kind of man-on-the-street interviews, people in this association who had things that are valuable to members to highlight. Well, because during a live conference, you have half-hour coffee breaks, 90 minutes for lunch, you have, you know, happy hour. And if you're watching virtually, that's usually just dead time. They put up a little thing that says back in 30 minutes. Right, which allows your virtual audience to go away and not come back. And so the idea was to have something engaging that would draw people in and keep them there. So um, they had one host but wanted another one. Uh, to, it's very hard to do a, a live stream sort of talk show, as we've called it now, by yourself. It's nice to have somebody to banter with and be entertaining. So I was doing my hair at 7 o'clock in the morning and got the call um, that had sort of slipped through the cracks and said, can you come and help us? And I said yes. And there I was about uh, 45 minutes later with my tushy in the chair uh, live, ready to go on the Internet. And what's great is then you were broadcast to thousands of people around the world as the host of the conference. Right. And – it was 
such a delight to sit beside all of these smart people and ask them the questions that either I thought of while I was listening to them live when they presented or at having done a little research, digging a little deeper, or something that somebody from the virtual audience had sent in because we had the ability through social media and um, within the live stream platform for people to make comments. So it was just such a treat to learn a little bit more, go a little bit deeper. And those interviews, as you said, have become so very valuable because often they'll the people who come and sit in the chair beside us are giving little tidbits that only the virtual audience or those people who buy the, the simulcast later are getting. So you did this last year, and I know for a fact it was a big hit. I mean, you had like a little TV sto- studio set up in the lobby area, and all of sort of the speakers and some of the other celebrities and VIPs would come and chat with you. And afterwards, it was such a hit, the company who was doing the simulcast started helping promote you as sort of a digital hybrid host. That became sort of a new product line for you. Absolutely. So you 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 know started that that option sort of started, and so Digitel, the company who you worked with and who the National Speakers Association had chosen to be their simulcast partner, you know they wrote an article about you. They they put together a sizzle reel, and this became part of your business promoting hybrid meetings. Right. Exactly. And it is you know uh, an emerging field doing it, and particularly doing it this way, um, and and then. When you and I did this year's conference, we really talked about it, not so much that you had this virtual audience, but there was a virtual conference going on at the same time as the live conference. And our our interactions with the virtual audience or those virtual attendees was very vibrant in a way I think that was very surprising to many people, how invested those attendees were, even though they weren't physically at the convention. So 2014 was a big success, and they decided they were going to do this again, and they actually were going to turn it in to a financial center, which is a way that an association can actually use their broadcast. Instead of just opening it up for free for everybody, they would have it that attendees would pay a reduced rate, different than actually coming to the conference live, but they were going to actually make this a a part of a a sign-up deal. And they still had hundreds of people sign up for 2015, and you asked me to be your co-host. I did. And you said yes. And I did. And I said yes. And having spent, you know, at that point, almost a year working on cool things entrepreneurs do and having interviewed so many people, it was a really comfortable yes for me. And this is something as I tell people about my experience working with you as the digital co-host this time was I don't know that I could have done it a year ago. The fact that you were able to, you know, be doing your hair at seven in the morning and just bip on down and sit in the chair and go, I really admire because I don't know that I could have done that without the level of experience of being able to interview people and the thought process to be prepared to do it. But, you know, you called me in like April and said, would you like to be my co-host for this year's show? And because I had been doing this podcast, I knew that it was something within my comfort zone. And I originally said yes, just because I thought it would be fun. 
I actually agreed to do it because I like you. I thought it would be kind of an interesting thing. It would be something different. And I had no idea when I originally sat down on that first day in the co-host chair next to you what we were really creating, that it was going to become something bigger than both of us, both in the reaction from the audience who was listening, uh, the way it impacted the association, the way Digitel got so excited about it, and then right. what's happening now, you know, several months later. So we sat down and we launched this show. And in my opinion, we sort of were like uh, the Today Show. We were like Matt and Savannah in the morning, sitting there, kind of kicking up off everybody's virtual conference, a conference within a conference, as you called it. Right. And, you know, those choices were strategic in many ways. The, the producers at Digitel... And I had a, a conversation about what was the feel that we wanted. And we talked about some different things, whether we wanted it to be more like a newscast or we wanted it to be more conversational and, you know, that host chat sort of thing. And we really thought that the thing that would be most engaging was to have hosts, co-hosts, that it felt like they were welcoming you, welcoming you into the conference to, you know, join you in a conversation rather than just pushing out content all the time. And then we selected some other people to sort of be sort of the the roving reporters on the street, to wander around the conference and listen to what was being said on the breaks and in the hallways, and then come back and share that either directly with the virtual audience or to bring people with them and interview them. Right. And the thing I I think I've learned in, in the process of doing it this way is that it is a fire hose all day long. There is so much going on and you just have to be on constantly. So having those additional people from within the organization that know people, and that would be a a strategy I certainly would recommend for other associations is that you need to identify some, you know who the movers and shakers are in your organization. And everybody has those people who can draw others in. And if you have that person acting as your roving reporter and bringing the convention, the the hallway discussions to the, the live stream, to that talk show, then you really get the flavor of what it's like to actually be there. And I know you and I saw people make the, make the decision to attend in 2016 right there and started talking about you know, making reservations and who's going to be who's who's roommate and that wanting to be there, you know, desire really came out of feeling like they were almost there. Well, and that's that's exactly right, because we definitely had sort of that chat room going with the people right. who were virtual, and they created their own mini society. One of the things I do when I'm the master of ceremonies of a live event is I try to remind everybody that, you know, while we're all live on property, we're creating our own little mini society that lasts for three days, four days, five days. And in this case, you and I did that with that virtual group is we encouraged them to use the chat room feature and to talk to each other. And every now and then someone would ask a question and we were busy hosting. We couldn't answer the question. Someone else in their community would answer it and send them the link to a speaker's book or a speaker's website or video. And they really were watching out for each other and sharing information the whole time, which surprised me because I think we were broadcasting for 37 hours. I know. And, And some people were with us for all of those hours, would get up early in the morning and because we were on the East Coast, 
if we started at eight o'clock in the morning, those West Coasters were getting up pretty darn early. Right. And we had someone from Singapore who was, it was the middle of the night. Exactly. Exactly. But rather than watching it on demand later, they were watching it live as it happened because they were so invested. So the the response from the audience pleasantly surprised me. The fact that the virtual mm-hmm. audience was so engaged and they so were, you know, conversational with you and I as the hosts and they they loved asking questions to the roving reporters to go find out answers. What surprised you have, having been your second year about the way the whole program worked? Well, I think we learned a lot the first year and that was something definitely that Digital and I talked about just the setup of having a monitor turn towards you and I so that we could see the comments that were coming. So we could immediately react when somebody said, I know there were many times where we got somebody fresh off the main stage to come and sit beside us. And there were comments coming in, which made that main stage presenter feel like a rock star that they're getting all of this love Uh, coming through the comments, but then those questions were immediately answered, which is amazing. And I think what was gratifying but also surprising was how all of that sort of melded together. You had the social media and the comments and the, the talk show live stream that we were doing all working together to really create this I like that idea, this mini society, but also this convention within a convention that people were really attending. They weren't viewing. They were in attendance. So now not every association, not every trade group has the advantage that the National Speakers Association would have. And the fact that they reached into their membership and found you and I to be able to pop up and sit there on camera and and speak to the audience because that's what we do for a living. So for other associations, they might look to their membership and think, where are we ever going to find people with the right personalities, the right level of experience to, to speak, to be on stage, to be able to interview people and draw them out? And so that's where sort of the conference talk show prog- program is now being born. Right, exactly. It is a fairly unique set of skills. And um, what I didn't share when I was introducing myself before is I actually have a degree um, in mass communications uh, and did a lot of on-air interviews, both as the interviewer and the interviewee. So that that's part of my background. And there's a skill set to that uh, about being very present about knowing what you want to ask. And that isn't something that everyone is going to come to the table with. And just because somebody has a great personality doesn't mean they're going to be a great on-air host for your conference. No. And uh, I think you will agree with me on this. It takes a level of energy that is exhausting. (laughs) Yes, but I like it. (laughs) I know. I think when you do the Myers-Briggs test... Um, I am like the biggest capital E for extrovert there can be. There's very little I in my personality. So I feed on that sort of energy and it makes me very happy and it fills me up, which doesn't mean that when the alarm went off at 5 a.m., I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to get up and do this. But I swear I would get down there and I would see the digital digital guys setting up and it would just like the switch would be on and I'd be ready to go because it was just so much 
fun. Well, and I'm the same way. The first time I ever took the Myers-Briggs, the, the facilitator made me take it again because they said <laughs> the test is designed. You can't score a 10-0 in any category. And I was a 10-0 extrovert. And yeah. so she said, I clearly didn't take it right. She gave me some instructions and made me take it again. And once again, I came out a 10-0 extrovert. Right. Right. I when my husband and I took it together at a party, he he came out uh, very high on the eye, and I yep. told him that he had answered the questions wrong. <laughs> I just didn't comprehend that anybody would be any different than me. I thought you know this was normal. Clearly, it is not. Um, but I, it does take some special skills. It takes uh, a personality that's able to withstand that sort of being on for that period of time. Um, and it takes an ability to really roll with the punches because it's live. And there are things that happen. Um, we encouraged some of them. We had people that would photo bomb uh, or video bomb us, you know, just walking by would come in and say hi, which is part of the fun. But you do have to be able to roll with it. And sometimes it's interrupting a question and you have to remember to get back to the question. Um, and sometimes people who are scheduled don't show up and people who weren't scheduled show up and you just kind of do it. Well, and you have to – I think we did a very good job of really being focused on the fact that our purpose was to serve the virtual audience. And it would, be, it would be very easy – in this role to get very clinical and very interviewees and, and very talk show, or no, I'm sorry, not talk showy, very news show. Right. You know, you could fall into that. So I actually want to ask you, because I know the answers because we're working on it, I want to ask you about sort of the new offering of the conference talk show. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this show. And the sponsor of this episode is Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Eliz Green. If you're interested in starting a podcast, you need to check them out. Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things to find the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Eliz, we got such positive response from co-hosting the National Speakers Association's hybrid live simulcast that other people are now interested in creating talk shows for their conferences. Many of them have simulcast before and, and did what I said where they just sort of you know put up, hey, we'll be back in 90 minutes. Others might be going into simulcasting for the first time. And people who are going into it for the first time, I know their biggest worry is if we sell the conference – as a video simulcast, no one's going to show up live. That's right. not true, is it? No, it, it, I think that's the biggest myth. And you and I had the opportunity to talk to um, the president of Digitel about that specifically. And, you know, he refers to it as the cannibalization of the event. But the opposite is true. And one of the things that we saw for the National Speakers Association was an uptick in a live attendance after the live stream the year before. And I think the best way to encourage people to attend your event is to give them that taste so that they know how valuable that attendance is. And so they're willing to spend the money and the time and the effort to get there because they know they're going to get a return on their investment. And that's certainly something that you and I talked about quite a bit when we were on air is you know, what is the return on investment on 
or the return on attendance of actually being there in person. And while attending virtually is wonderful and amazing and and there were many benefits to that, it doesn't beat actually being there. Well, and all the guests that we interviewed, when we would say, you know, what advice do you have for the people at home? Because part of being at the National Speakers Association is you want to learn to run your business better. You want to learn better stagecraft. And so we were asking all the people kind of special content for the virtual audience, you know, to give tips. But in addition to those speaking skills tips and those business tips, one of the tips that most everybody gave was if you've never been to a conference live, you got to get here because it's those hallway conversations that are really taking place. It almost seemed like we were prepping people to say that, and we weren't, because that was sort of the whole feel of the conference was come and join us next year. And as you said, you saw from 14 to 15, there was a large number of people who signed up who said, I watched last year, came this year. But, But we saw well over a dozen, if not 20 or 25 people who tweeted in, thanks for the virtual simulcast. I'm coming next year. So right. we, we saw the commitment from the people in the audience to make that plan to get there next time. Well, and, and think about it. How often do we go buy a service? And I was just doing it today. I was looking at, um, I want a plugin to make lead pages for my website. And I was looking at a number of things. Well, what's the best way to get me to buy? Given me a 14-day free t- trial or a low-cost entry point where I don't have to invest the whole amount you may want, but at least I get to go in there and find out what it's like before I make the big investment. Because I may not make the big investment if I don't know it's actually going to be valuable to me. So this is becoming a new product. This is now the conference talk show where they can have a conference talk show with experienced host or hosts uh, simply by going to conferencetalkshow.com. Now, you wrote a case study about what happened with the National Speakers Association. Let's talk about a little bit about the positives and then a little bit about what we're offering from here forward. Sure. I think for anybody who's planning an event, there are organizational goals. Most of the time, they include, you know, you got to cover your expenses. You got to make sure that people are actually coming to your event. So increasing the live attendance Everybody has an eye on the bottom line, so increasing revenue. You want to make sure that you're engaging your membership so so that you're attracting new members and retaining those members that are already in the fold and creating content that remains attractive to people in between those main events. Because if your members only hear from you once a year when you're saying, hey, come to convention, you don't really have a relationship. And having that talk show experience can hit all of those all at the same time. And those interviews that we did can become standalone interviews that the association can use in a lot of other things, in training, in promoting, you know, on their YouTube channel. So these interviews weren't just something that was thrown out into cyberspace. They were recorded and kept, and while people can still sign up to actually watch the simulcast, little pieces of it can later be clipped out to promote next year's conference. Exactly, and sliced and diced in so many ways, and in potentially creating a revenue source that associations haven't explored before, whether that's the the on-demand virtual training sort of opportunities that those interviews matched with the, the things that are recorded at the conference could really provide. 
So if someone is, knows someone who's doing a large conference and they're going to simulcast and, and, and have a hybrid version of their conference and they're listening to this and they think, wow, this is really a good idea, why is it smart to hire you and me versus just picking somebody out of their own audience? First, we're going to do our research. And the, certainly we have an advantage doing a, a talk show for our own association, something that we're already familiar with, but that still required a a level of research ahead of time to make sure that you know what the theme of the the convention is going to be, what are the goals that the association really wants to promote, um, that each time an interview subject comes up, you're you're consistent in making sure that you get those little nuggets of information just for your virtual audience and you keep in between promoting, you need to come to convention, thanking your sponsors, being very professional about the whole thing. And I've seen it handled so brilliantly. Things go wrong. And you want somebody who is good on their feet, but also very invested in protecting the brand of the organization. So that if something happens and it's big, there's going to be the forethought of let's figure out what we're going to do before we do it live. And um, that's something that I certainly saw during the 14 convention that that level of professionalism can be really, really important. Well, and the other thing is, is that it's just that level of experience. If you're going to do this and you're going to charge people to be part of it, I believe this is not an area you want to wing it. So often, just in hiring speakers, so often associations and others will say like, well, they're really smart or, you know, they wrote a really cool book. And and my mantra always is just because someone's smart or they've done something cool doesn't mean they should be your speaker or your master of ceremonies. You know, there's, these, are, these are skills that are out there for a reason. And I think the same thing is true as we get into this new world of hybrid conferences is not everybody has the experience level, nor do they want to put in the level of, like you and I said, the hours. to. We broadcast 37 hours, and even when it was the live main stage, it wasn't like you and I got to go sleep. We had to go in and watch it because we were right. going to have to interview Mark later on or whoever was on the main stage. So right. we had to be invested, and we had to sit by the back door because as soon as they said, thank you very much, we have a half hour break, we came up live. So, you know, if you have members of your own association, oftentimes they're being pulled in different direction. Board members have meetings, people have things going on, and they can't be 100% dedicated to that live broadcast. That That's absolutely right. And it, you and I were not attending that conference. We were emceeing, <laughs> no, we were right. hosting that conference, and it's a much different uh, animal when you're doing it that way. And I was pleased and excited, and I got so much out of it, but it's not the same. So to ask a member of your association to give up their attendance, which they should be finding very valuable in order to host a, a, a live stream, may not be the best way to go about keeping your members happy. Well, and you've emceed a lot of events throughout your career, and, and that's part of my offering is as a professional master of ceremonies, you know, for the live event, that's a full-time set of skills that you're there. I mean, you don't get to turn it off. When you're the master of ceremonies on, on the live stage side of the event, you are on during lunch, you're on during happy hour, even if you're not on stage, because you are seen as the host of that live conference, and that was the role that, that we filled for that audience that was virtual. Right. And we've talked about you and I, whether it would make sense to actually do a a conference talk show that 
folded both the live and the virtual convention together, which I think would be brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I would love to work with an association who says, we need a couple of professional master of ceremonies on the live stage. And by the way, we're going to simulcast it because you and I have figured out that there's a time and a place where we're together and there's a time and a place that we each do it separately. Therefore, we could be in two places at once so that when we say, okay, we're, you know, you could be on stage and say, okay, we're going off for a half hour break. And for those of you who are virtual, you know, I'm going to pass it over to Tom, who's in the studio. And then it immediately seamlessly picks up in the studio where I'm interviewing the last keynote speaker while you make your way over. And then I pass it over to you and you do some of the, the, the audio stuff. So this is really, you know, becomes a whole way of creating that community and tying your live community together with your virtual community. Right. Which is what we all should be trying to do. And I think that's the main idea here is that you want to make sure that your members, whether they're in person or they're attending virtually, are feeling valued and feeling like they are getting value. Well, and so I did, I uh, spoke for a large tech company here in Austin, and they were broadcasting virtually to their uh, employees around the world. And during my live speech, I actually turned to the camera and said, now, for those of you, because I had an exercise for the audience in my workshop, live in, in their headquarters, I turned to the camera and I said, now, for those of you who are at home, and I gave them a separate exercise. And what happened was, is their chat room blew up. They couldn't believe, the people who were watching virtually, that the speaker had actually addressed them and, and assigned them something to do. They were so happy after having always tuned into these workshops that somebody actually tied the two together. And to be honest with you, the people in the live room, they weren't offended that I talked to the camera for a split second. They, I don't even think they noticed. And yet the people on the virtual side went crazy with joy. Well, but think about it too, in this sense, and I can't remember if you were the one, who, you may have had this little nugget of brilliance, and if so, you can claim credit for it. When You're talking to somebody and you both watch the same football game, let's say, and one watched it live and one watched it virtually. The person who watched it in person isn't offended that it was broadcast on television. And the person that watched it on television is just a little bit jealous that that person got to see it live (laughs) in the stadium. That was not mine, but that is a nugget of brilliance. So that's exactly right. (laughs) I'm going to have to figure out who said that because it was really good. So if somebody's listening and they want to find out, how do we get, how do we get these people to host my, my next conference? Where do they go? To conferencetalkshow.com. There you go. Conferencetalkshow.com. Now, Eliz, before I let you go, I have two questions I love to ask every guest who comes onto this show. And that is the first thing is we could talk about Eliz Green and all the cool things you're doing for hours. However, I think the best entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So I love to ask my guests, what's something you see someone else doing? Not you, not, you know, for your business, but what's something you see someone else doing where you think, wow, that is cool. You know, I have uh, somebody here in our community who was the, the beloved music teacher at the elementary school. And she recently retired and had the opportunity to go out and be a musician professionally. And it has been so amazing to watch her go out and explore. And she'd always been somebody who would gig here and there. Um, And she's a singer, songwriter, plays multiple instruments. But going, she's gone out over the couple of years that she's been retired and made all of these alliances with different musicians in the in the community, and sings in a bunch of different bands and goes and does uh, solo gigs. And it's just, I think, in the spirit of saying yes, 
she has reached out and said yes and seen such success and growth that she's an inspiration. Wow, that is cool when you see somebody have that kind of success. Yeah. So the other question I love to ask people is, I think the best entrepreneurs want to do more than make money and create cool products like Conference Talk Show. But I think the best entrepreneurs, I think they want to leave their mark behind. And I know you do so much, but what's something you do to give back to the greater good? I always have an eye out for the advocacy part of what I do. And I'm blessed not to look like somebody who has a heart condition. And early in my career, I used to go by the tagline of uh, putting a face on or the face of women in heart disease because being a younger woman, I didn't look like somebody had had a heart attack. And sitting in the room with legislators and reminding them how important research is and funding basic scientific research and the difference that difference that it makes in the lives of people like me. The technology that was used to fix my heart was only 18 months old. Wow. Um, And had the funding not been there, had that piece of technology not been developed, I wouldn't be here. And so that is part of what I feel obligated to do, but it is also an honor to do, is to make sure that people are reminded why that's important. Wow. Well, you do so much in that area. And so I think everybody should applaud you for that. So thank you for all that you do. And hey, thank you for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I'm so excited I've got to be a guest. Well, and it was so fun to talk about this because, you know, four years ago, two years ago, there wasn't such a thing as a hybrid meeting host. And now, you know, it's a whole burgeoning thing, and we're having the fun of creating Conference Talk Show and being able to take this out to associations who really want to have an impact to make the reach of their conference go further than just that hotel ballroom. And so I'm looking forward to working with you on this project because I think it's going to be fun, and I think that everything that's happening in the world of meetings when we get into this this hybrid side, I think it's going to be fascinating to see where it goes over the next two and three years. So thank you for coming on and sharing it with everybody. Everybody. It was my pleasure. And I am so glad when you called and said, will you co-host with me? I'm so glad that I said yes. yes. So and for those of you who are listening, thank you for saying yes to today's show. Uh, I'm going to be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody just as cool as Eliz Green. I know that's hard to believe, but I'm going to find him. And in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.